our happiness should not be cheap. It should be freaking expensive. Welcome to Happy Millionaire, a show about how to make profit with a positive impact and stay happy along the way. So today, Rupi's going to explain what the arrival fallacy is, and I dissect what motivates billionaires and superstars like Warren Buffett, Ronaldo, Taylor Swift, and Drake. And we chat about how to invest. So if you've got some spare cash and you don't know which investment vehicles to use, this is the episode for you. But first, Rupi's going to give us a lowdown on his new book called Dr. Rupi Cooks. You're literally all over podcasts, news places, your book's out. How is this week been? I just, I get, the, I get the view that it's pretty intense and might even get a bit boring because you're saying the same things all the time or how is it? Sometimes it can be. You're right, actually. If your interviewer isn't great at like, you know, extracting something new other than the party line about what the book's about. But I mean, luckily mm. I've been working with some really good interviewers. Um, they just know like what their audience want and how best to extract it from whoever is, you know, promoting their book or app or whatever it might be. But yeah, like the last couple of weeks have been super busy, man. I finished writing the book like at the Q1 of last year. So Q1 of 2022. Wow. So it's been a year. Yeah, I've literally been a year. And so when people ask me about the book, I'm like, oh, fuck, I need to like quickly quick, quick look at the book. Like, what did I write? <laughs> and uh, what, what, what are they doing that recipe again? Um, so yeah, it's been a full year. And up from that point that the manuscript is delivered to the point like today and in the next six months, it's all about refining your marketing messaging, mm. getting myself onto podcasts, finding the audience that will resonate with what I'm talking about as well. So, you know, my books are all about healthy, easy, flavorful cooking. So they're going to be home cooks. They're going to be people of our age who are always hitting me up for like, you know, what should I eat for? Or like, how do I maintain a healthy eating habit? Or like, you know, what's a healthy Mm. version of? So it's about like tapping into that market and um, yeah. And, and, you know, to use a a sales and targeting them. Um, but mate, it's relentless. Podcast, right? I was just saying yeah. before I jumped on here, I had three interviews. I had a podcast this morning. I've been doing articles the whole yeah. week. One of the things I was asked to do was a big issue article of uh, lessons you would teach your 16-year-old self or your younger self. The big issue is if you're not in the UK, it's the, I guess it's for the homeless, right? It raises money for the homeless, big issue. Yeah. It's not in the world. I think it's only in the UK. Yeah, I'm not too sure about the distribution, but the the content around it is phenomenal. It's basically like a magazine that enables people who are vulnerable or homeless to generate an income in a safe way. Mm. Um, And Big Issue also sort of, you know, runs campaigns to look after people who, you know, are vulnerable and, you know, have just been dealt a, a terrible card. So yeah, one of the articles that they do as a regular piece is like they get a person who is somewhat known or well known um, to write a letter to the younger self. And that exercise oh, wow. revealed so much about how much I've changed, how much I've yet to change. How long is it? 700 words, just 700 words. And you're writing it to yourself? Yeah, you write it to yourself. It's literally like, Rupee, okay. you know, you're 16 right now. You think, you know, you're setting yourself up for a career in medicine uh, and you think that's what you want. But in reality... That's not what you want. And in fact, no one knows what they want. We're all just around, uh, strutting around the world, mimicking each other, uh, whereas actually we're chasing the desires of other people rather than 
looking inward and trying to figure out what our true motivations are. And so it starts with that kind of vein and like, you know, kind of breaks it down to mm. all things you should be focusing on. Uh, but what it is, is actually a letter to yourself in the present moment to remind yourself of actually what matters. Because the reality is in 20 years time, when I'm writing another letter to myself, I'm probably going to be lamenting about how much time I used to have or how much time I spent, you know, posturing or looking at what I don't have rather than what I have right now. And yeah, it's, it's a really good exercise. And I, I think, you know, everyone should clear half a day to, to write it properly. You don't have to share it with anyone. You don't have to yeah. put it in the big issue or anything like that. But just the whole exercise for me was, was epic. So that's definitely been a, yeah. a high point of my, my campaign. That's a great exercise. One of the exercises I always do is I always ask myself, okay, if I was 50 years old today or 60 years old, what do I have want to have achieved before then? And then that, that's like the hard question. It forces me to start stretching myself, doing the things that are important. Those questions are really, really powerful. And I try to force myself to play that game as often as possible, um, like at least like once a month. It's not a fun game. I know it's not a fun game because it, it really makes you realize what you're doing right now is probably not what you want to be doing or maybe you're on the wrong path or how you're doing it is probably not the right way so yeah it's a good one um hope your book launch goes well this week obviously you know uh i'm here for you i think i've bought quite a few i've been sending them yeah to my you friend. bought 10 man thanks appreciate that <laughs> it was like 15 but yeah it's all good man oh yeah <laughs> no one's counting no one's counting yeah yeah, yeah. no no i appreciate yeah, that no one's man. Counting. no awesome so what's going on okay so uh, i've been reading a lot Right. Since the start of the new year, I've read, I want to say four or five books. So I, I re-listened to and reread Untethered Soul. Have you read The Surrender Experiment by Michael Singer? Yeah. Amazing. The Untethered Soul, I think we chatted about it. The Surrender Experiment is great as well. I thought, I actually thought that book was potentially better, but I think it only makes sense after you understand the values from Untethered Soul. But no, you carry yeah. on, please carry on. And he wrote, he wrote it in that order as well. So I didn't realize that The Untethered Soul was written whilst he was going through a massive period of vulnerability when he was being sued and like, you know, there was a con man in his company, mm. all that kind of stuff. Um, currently in the middle of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, uh, there's a small book called The Three Alarms that I don't think a lot of people will have heard of. And there's another one called The Path of This Path, um, which is a typical kind of story of like a McKinsey consultant who, you know, decides that being a consultant for the rest of his life isn't for him. And he goes off to Asia and takes a sabbatical and, you know, fi kind of finds himself and becomes a solo entrepreneur. It's like, okay, big deal. Kind of a story that we've heard time and time again. But actually, mm. the wisdom that he compiles into this book from various sources is, is really interesting. And one of the things that I want to bring up today was um, this sort of anti-fragile mindset that, was popularized by Nassim Nicholas Taleb, who is a psychologist. I think he's pretty well versed. A lot of people have heard of, of this guy. But it's basically this whole concept of being anti-fragile is how you utilize stress and shocks to grow stronger. So it's about that growth mindset that Carol Dweck talks a lot about in her books as well. So your stress response is better. It's basically how you respond to stress and how you utilize that mm. to grow stronger and more resilient and to your advantage. So the thing I always like to draw an analogy between is like when you exercise, so you're getting to your gym right now, you know, you're lifting up biceps and what's happening at a molecular level is that you're actually stressing and shearing those muscles in your biceps, right? But 
the process of repair is actually creating a more resilient muscle fiber that's going to make you stronger. It's going to hypertrophy, get you bigger, you know, look, making, making you look pretty tonk um, as you're looking these days mm. is good. And um, that sort of response is what you, you want. And, and the same thing with stresses in daily life. So right now, I'm not feeling very well. I've got a bit of a cold. It's because I've been like challenging myself for the last couple of weeks. You know, I can either look at that as like, okay, can't believe I'm that vulnerable. Like I'm meant to be this healthy doctor and I've got ill, like what, what's wrong with me? Or it's a message to say, A, great, your immune system is working. It's fighting off a, a cold and you'll probably be over this in the next couple of days. And B, it's like, okay, this is a time that's actually telling me I need to slow down a bit. I need to focus on self-care. I need to rest up a bit um, and just slow down that slight little bit because I'm pushing a little bit too close to the to the edge. Yeah, um, hit the line. You've hit the line. Yeah, yeah I've yeah. basically hit the line. I've gone over the line a little bit. But, you know, th- these are all things that, you know, you could utilize uh, in your day-to-day. So the stress of financial stress or people right now are like, you know, uh, trying to cut back on budgets and stuff, you can either utilize that as a way to grow stronger or the opposite, which is the default position of a lot of people and, you know, a feeling of being lost and not being able to do anything about it it's about taking control and so i love that sort of anti-fragile mindset and i think it's something that we could all learn from you know i think this year 2023 we're recording this podcast it's going to be a very tough year for all of us right we know what's going on in housing markets around the world like mortgages are going up the price of your property is going down so everyone's feeling a bit uncomfortable on their personal wealth at the same time yeah, there's been a cutback on spend. So yeah, I think everyone's going to be stretched and pulled this year. But I think you're right. If you can look at it from the positive side, we're all going to have to learn to deal with this period. And I think we're going to learn a lot, right? It's going to force us to be more entrepreneurial, to think outside the box, to be more creative. And that's only going to lead us to be much stronger next year when I think the market's going to start pulling back up, right? So I think, yeah, if everyone can use this period to feel actually, hey, look, look at the optimistic sides as much as possible. I know it's bloody hard because... You know, it feels like sometimes we're just getting hit by life all the time. But I feel like my mindset is just like, look, actually, you know what? I'm going to try and be as positive as possible this year. Yeah. The other thing I want to talk about um, whilst I'm on this little roll is um, something that I'm acutely aware of these days as well. It's called the arrival fallacy. Um, So it's this idea that when we reach a certain milestone or accolade or whatever, whatever, we will reach this state of lasting happiness. Whereas actually, it's kind Mm. of fleeting. So when I became a Sunday Times bestseller uh, a couple of years ago, I remember thinking like, I want to get Sunday Times bestseller. I want to get to that that position. I want to, you know, want to see my name on the top of the Amazon charts. And I want to read the paper and, and, and see my book there. And it was great, but it was a fleeting happiness moment because I hadn't really invested in what truly makes me happy. And it's the whole process of helping people and the reasons as to why I started Doctor's Kitchen in the first place rather than an accolade that can mm. be cheap because it's, always, it's, it's never everlasting. It'll always go away. And this yeah. arrival fallacy, I think a lot of people are sort of trapped into, whether it's like uh, a position at work, whether it's you know becoming part of the C-suite, maybe it's you know getting to your Series B, maybe it's exiting. You know, that sort of arrival fallacy, I think, is a really important concept to get your head around. And before you, re- you, you experience that, 
and you have the corresponding sadness afterwards, maybe almost like preparing yourself for it. So I'm preparing myself for like, you know, future things that I want to get to. And it's like, it's great. If I get it, I get it. But my happiness isn't dependent on getting to that stage. My happiness is right now in this moment, you know, having this conversation with you, doing all the stuff I'm doing uh, tomorrow and today, you know, it's being as present as possible. So I think this year is an interesting one. I think people, a lot of people are very reflective. I'm noticing like a lot of people telling me, hey, like I've reflected on like where I am in life and I've actually hit a lot of my milestones or hey, I'm like in a good place or, um, you know, I've hit that target, I've hit the job title, like something feels good or I've hit, you know, a decent amount of money. Like, you know, I'm in a decent place, right? And they've lost a bit of their motivation. Like, you know, I think they're asking themselves, why did I do this? And one thing that I've always been fascinated is like what motivates like the ultra successful people, like the guys who are, you know, billionaires or really successful, like what motivates them? What keeps them hungry? Think of like Warren Buffett, think of the likes of Drake, like Messi, Ronaldo, Taylor Swift, like all these people that are top of their game in what they do, right? What keeps them motivated? So I've been on a massive research journey like this year. I was just like, I was just fascinated with that because like what is at the core of these guys' beliefs to keep them going. So I've learned there's four main drivers and I thought I'd rattle through them today because I think that might inspire some people of like what's at the heart of the core of like these ultra successful people, right? So generally there's four buckets. So you could be more, so you might be more focused on one. Like it might be imbalanced, it might be evenly balanced, but generally there'll be one which is like standing out and different phases of your life, one will be stronger. So number one is learning. Um, they just want to keep on learning. So think of the likes of Bill Gates. You know he disappears to the forest. He just wants to read, read, read. There's a famous investor who I really respect, this guy called Chamath, who basically runs social capital. He just says, look, I love my job because I love learning and researching about different areas. You know, you've also got people like Warren Buffett. They say they just love studying and learning. I know this relates to even me. Like as I was learning to become a better entrepreneur, I was just constantly reading about how to be a better entrepreneur, like you know, how to manage cash, how to manage people, you know, how to set visions, goals, raise money. Like I was just so excited about learning. And at one moment, that was my number one factor. The second one that I learned that really motivates these successful people is just their love for the game. So this is in sports people. So if you ever watch like a sports athlete, think of like LeBron, or if you think of like Messi, Ronaldo, there's that excitement that, um, they just love, even like Warren Buffett's got it. He even says like, I just, you know, when I'm walking to work, I'm like, you know, that's it. Like just tap toeing into work. He's like jumping up excited. Like it's just that love for the game. Number three is creativity. I think there comes to a point when these really successful people, they're already good in one area, but they want to be creative and bounce into other areas. So good examples, even like you, right? You know, you've, you've done the book thing, you've done the podcast. Now you want to go into the app. Uh, another great example is Drake. Like, so Drake, when he first started his music, like he was in the R&B love song categories. Then he expanded to more like hip hop, to more rap. He even went into grime, to dance. If you think of like Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, like initially he started in wrestling, then he went to movies, then he's now selling tequilas. He's now in the NFL. Like, you know, there's this element of wanting to spread your creativity. So that was like number three. Um, and number four, I've noticed that some of the people that are really successful, they just had this, you know, when they first start set off, they just wanted to give back. It was just like, it was just truly embodied within them. I don't know if you've seen it, but I did manage to watch the documentary on Taylor Swift on Netflix. And like, it was really interesting, her background. I didn't really know much about her until I watched it. But like, you know, it's, it's quite clear from, you know, at a young age, she just wanted to be really kind and give back. And I know sometimes there's some back and forth on Taylor Swift, but I, like, I could see her desire just to be kind and to like, you know, help, you know, other women that are on their journeys, right? And I think, you know, you could see that was at her core right? So I think that's number four, giving back. And I think we all at some element want to give back. It might come at a later phase of our journey, or it might come at the start. But, you know, for me, 
you know, I've always wanted to give back to entrepreneurs, but as I've grown further in my journey, I think I want to give back even more, right? And this is when people set foundations and give back. But so that's number four. So in summary, there's four things. There's learning. You've got to really love learning. You've got to love the game. So just love the whole process. Creativity. So just being creative and bouncing around in your field. And fourthly is giving back. So it's just a bit of research. I'd love to get your take on it. I like the framework of thinking about that, you know, love for the game and everything. I think for a lot of people, they struggle to find out what they love, right? So for me, I kind of mm. just like got swept up with everything. It was like someone was like, you know, I, I started with the social media stuff, but then someone else was like, oh, you should write a book. And I was like, I've never really wanted to write a book, but okay, fine, I'll, I'll give it a go. And, and then I, I ended up loving that. And then someone else was like, you should do a podcast. And I was like, okay, I don't know anything about radio or speaking to a mic, but I, I'll give that a go. And then lo and behold, I, I fell in love with that. And then, you know, now it's like, I'm being intentional about the app because I've no one said you should do an app. <laughs> so that was on me. Um, and, you know, I, I also want to like start my, my cooking show and, and everything else. But I think the, the love for the game, being creative, I love how we've woven in Drake into it as well, man. I freaking love Drake. Yeah, I had, to, I had to get Drake in. Yeah, yeah. Me and Amit have this saying, like, what would Drake do? When he um, did that collaboration with uh, Boy Better Know, I remember thinking to myself, that's bold. That is really bold because Grime's mm. been around for ages. And for like the traditional, my perspective anyway, the traditional view, I think, of British rap was that it was a bit corny. And the cool guys were all like, you know, West Coast, East Coast, hip hop artists. And for, for him to actually reach out on the other side and actually bring it and make it, made it cool. I mean, that, that's pretty creative in itself. And his house track was amazing as well. Anything he touches, it seems to turn to gold. But I think it's that love of the game and the need to be creative as well. So that, that, that's, that's yeah. a pretty cool uh, framework. There comes to a point where I think all of us need to reflect. I think every few years, like, hey, look, I, I love what I do, but can I use this air stuff that I've learned in what, what I've learned in this field and then use it in like an adjacent field, right? And still hopefully be as good. So I think we all have to constantly keep on learning and being creative, right? I think if you look at Maslow hierarchy, the number one thing is creativity, right? Yeah, yeah. What actually? One of the things that I've realised is I learned a lot during medicine. There's always more you can learn in, in medicine, but you do get to like a mm. critical mass where the increase in learning doesn't lead to like you know a massive change in perhaps your position, your specialty, your seniority, whatever. But you're always sort of trending in that direction. Whereas now, like you want to get onto that learning curve like for that first like 70, 80%, because that's the exciting stuff. And then you get to a, a yeah, critical exactly. mass. So like for me right now, I'm going through the whole building a tech company, hiring, you know, encouraging a team, raising, you know, all these things. I'm on that steep part of the learning curve. So, I, you know, mm. I'm like 30, 40% of the way and I've got a long way to go. Whereas you are like, you know, 80, exciting. 90%. And it's, it is exciting, it is. But at the same time, it's quite nerve wracking as well. And I think it takes a certain type of person to, to lean into that. Um, mm. and sort of stretch your creative side. And I guess it depends on like, you know, the position you are in life as well. Um, it's funny, I've been chatting to a lot of like potential hires and stuff and it's, it is amazing just whether they're a parent or not has a huge impact on their propensity for risk as you'd expect. But it's something that I just haven't really sort of thought about that too much. I guess I should do because I'm married now. <laughs> I want to do one more topic because literally I'm getting this question thrown at me so many times now. And I think it's time for me to just answer this on the podcast. I'm going to do it in the most simple way. It's about investing your money. So people come to me and go, hey, 
I've got 50 grand, 100 grand, 200,000. Like, what should I do with my money? What should I do? Where should I invest it? How should I think about it? So I've really simplified it into three main buckets. But before I do it, I think I just want to caveat that, you know, in terms of investing your money, it's very subjective. It depends on your risk tolerance, um, how much you have, also your area of expertise, because, you know, you want to be investing in stuff that you know. Um, and also, I hate saying this, but like, I'm not a money advisor. I'm just telling you what I've learned, I'm giving you my straw man um, of the situation. So if you've got $100,000, $100,000, pounds, how should you invest it? My most simple answer is there's three main buckets of how you should think about it. Number one is your safety bucket, right? These are, this is where you put your money where you know you're not going to lose it. So this is in your savings account or in bonds. Like This is you know 100% likelihood safe money right? Um, you, know, you can get interest rates of anywhere from 3 to 5% on these areas if you do your research. So that's number one, safety bucket. Number two is your equity bucket. So to me, this is where you invest in funds, like call it mutual funds or equity funds, where you know, you're essentially investing in something that's invested in a bunch of different equity assets. So I like to go for classic, simple mutual funds. So you can go to the classic Fidelities. The ones I like, I like Berkshire Hathaway in the US. That's Warren Buffett's fund. There's actually an ETF, which is an exchange-traded fund, which replicates his main fund because his main fund's $400,000 to go in for one share. And also in the UK, there's a few funds I really like. There's a few BlackRock ones, but I really like Fundsmith. I put you know a lot of my personal savings into that one. What do you actually use to put your money into the into the uh, ETFs? And in the UK, you've got something called the ISA. So you can go in and log in on your platform. So you can go and, you know, you can use whatever platform. In my mind, I think that's, so I use something called AJ Bell. Some people use Barclays. Yeah. Um, there's Hargreaves. There's so many of them. I think, yeah. you know, each of them may be a bit like here and there, like a dollar or a pound or more. But in my mind, just pick one. And it's the, it's the element of just starting, which is the most important thing. You know, these are high risk funds. These are funds which have been, you know, over the last five years, they'll be giving you 10% return a year. Like, you know, they are safe equity funds right? They perform better than the index, right? And they do exist. The ones I've told you are good examples. Berkshire Hathaway's ETF and Fundsmith. They are fantastic funds. They Even in a down year like last year, they still perform outperform the index, right? Then your third bucket, which is the fun bucket, is your risky bucket, right? This is where you invest in single stocks, right? So, you know, in a single equity stock, in your Bitcoins, in your startups, so you may go into platforms like, you know, Cedars and stuff like that. And you know, in America, you've got other platforms where you can invest in startups like AngelList. There might be in some property lending stuff. I don't know. There might be some like funky assets that you invest in here. But in my mind, this is your risky bucket. Let's use the example of hanging $100,000. Um, for me, the safety bucket, you know, is in the savings bonds. I'd probably maybe put 50% in that one. Then you've got your equity bucket, which is your funds. I'd probably put 40% in that one. And then your risky bucket, which is, you know, your wacky, crazy stuff like single stocks, Bitcoin, startups, 10%. That's quite a defensive portfolio, by the way, right? People might think, hey, here's Jay, who's the entrepreneur. They think it's going to be bonkers and wild and crazy. I'm actually very, I, I actually act like an old man with my investment yeah. money. The reason why is because, this is my safety money, right? This is my this is my money where I want to try to make 5% passive income back. So hypothetically, let's say I've got $100,000 invested. I want to make at least 5,000 a year and not worry about it and I can sleep at night. I don't want to, you know, lose sleep over it. And I see too many people like having their ratios as safety bucket as like 30%, active like 60% or like 40% and then risky bucket 20 30 and they're they're all stressed. I think it's a good simple framework for people to use. Is it isn't there an app that just does this for you because like this would be an amazing app for me to have if I just every every month 
my 500 quid that I'm going to just every every month is going to get direct debited from my account. Yeah, so you can get like, you know, there's tools like Nutmeg and there's these other, which are essentially customized. You can customize your own fund structure using okay. the same framework. You can also invest in funds which will be like a fund of funds. So basically you invest, you know, uh, $1,000 into this one investment vehicle and this vehicle is invested in other funds and other stocks and other bonds and savings. So you can get these like these wrapped wrapper funds. Like you can do that as well. You know, your challenges, they'll charge extra fees. You don't know what's within it. So, you know, you're basically making a sandwich, which um, the fillings have already been decided, but you might want to make your own fillings, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. That's a good analogy. I like that one. <laughs> the most important thing is just start early because it, you know, of the compounding, right? I know everyone probably has started to some element, but then they just leave it. And they forget about it, but you know it's important you put, lock in some time, like every three months, to just reflect yeah. on it and go, okay, how's it? How is it doing? Because really, all of that money that you make from this saving, you're making essentially passive income, right? Or five percent. That's what you should be aiming for, five percent. And that money then gets funneled into your daily life situations, like you're spending money if you want to buy a property. So that's why this system has to be in a good place, because otherwise, you're not gonna have enough money to do other things like you know when you need to pay for your child's university or whatever you're gonna have to have hopefully have saved the money through this system that's why i think setting up this system now is really really important yeah well you want it to compound over time so you're not using any of that money at all for spending and that's just sort of like you just forget about it it just goes into that pot and that's it click on the link that i just put in the chat right now um it's a company called steady capital now that they exist in the states I haven't found a okay. similar company to these guys in the UK, and I think there should be right. So basically, what this allows you to do is basically is exactly what you've you talked about. So you know, an app like Nutmeg or or Mintel or Mint, whatever it's called, um, where you chuck in like a hundred or two hundred quid a month into this pot. This basically allows you to do the same thing, but with real estate properties. So cash flowing okay. assets, whether it be like a block of rentals, uh, it could be a collection of flats, it could be, you know, a network of Airbnb, whatever it is. Like th this is pretty awesome, I thought, because you can invest as little as $100 because this is an American company. But what, um, yeah. what I've been really thinking about a lot uh, ever since I've started reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad is basically how to get, how to have some exposure to real estate. Because what he talks about is, it's a very simple formula. It's just living below your means instead of blowing money on like, you know, designer clothes or m multiple holidays or all the rest of it. Like just live a little bit below your means and mm. focus on saving a, a money and make your money work for you via all these different investment um, strategies, whether it be funds or real estate or whatever. But and to get yeah, into yeah. real estate, you know, you need minimum of tens of thousands anywhere in the UK, really. Yeah, yeah even, this is a good you know. way in. Yeah, and this would be a good way. Are you aware of any of the companies that, that do this kind of thing? No, I've not seen that. But I do, you know, there's a few property funds that trade on the stock markets, right? So that's another way in. Oh, um, they do quite well. You can also do property lending. So there's loads of platforms that do that. So you can literally lend someone money to go buy their properties. There's... Um, you can lend people business loans through like things like market finance and I've got CREA to um, Funding Circle. So there's so many ways. There's even, you know, 
I've even started dabbling. I'm looking at masterworks, which is art pieces. So you can buy like a, a Picasso, one of these. So you buy a small share in these art pieces and even Banksy stuff's on there. Literally, you know, Banksy art pieces worth like 5 million and you own now, I don't know, like $5,000 worth or $1,000 worth. And it's going up by 15% a year. So, you know, that's, you know, to put in perspective, you're making more on that art piece than your the stocks. And it's yeah. a bit fun as well. Like, hey, I, I own part of a Banksy. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think there's so many things out there. So that's why, you know, in that third bucket of the risky bucket, like find something that you're, you know, you do have an edge on, I think. Like I don't have an edge on art, so I'm not going so crazy on it. But I think all of us do have some, like on a certain maybe startup area. Like if you're a doctor, you might have an advantage in spotting some health tech startups, right? Versus the other person. If you're working in finance, you might know some, you know, some, some information on certain shares because you just are using their technology or you're aware of it. So I think you've got to find your edge um, and then try to double down on that edge because you don't want to spread yourself too thin. You don't want to be that wheeler dealer who's like investing in everything and it's just, you know, I've, I've been that person. It's not good. It's not healthy because you're just like, you don't know what's going on. <laughs> it's, like, you know, it's like going paintball shooting and literally just getting shot all the time. It's not fun. <laughs> um so yeah play it safe i mean i mean it, it is safe. interesting to to hear about how risk averse you are i mean you're really fitting that sort of like archetypal picture that abbas Tversky, you know the uh, author of thinking fast thinking slow um paints in yeah. people we're, we're more loss averse than we are sort of like excited yeah. by winning uh, the same amount of money. We don't want to lose that amount of money either. So slow and steady, man. That's exactly, I mean, I, I, I say that, but all my cash and chips are basically bundled up into my like one company at the moment and I haven't cashed out anything. So yeah, I need to, yeah. I need to diversify massively. Should we bring on our good friend, Amit? Yeah, let's do it, man. So uh, <laughs> I know uh, Rupi talks about Drake, but if you remember on our snowbombing trip when you were yeah. blasting out Taylor Swift, so... Um, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I thought he was going to mention that. I'm, I'm telling you, Taylor Swift has got some bangers. So in terms of the topics, like, uh, so I'll go backwards. So uh, with investing, I think the problem that people often run into is it seems complicated and overwhelming, as you mentioned. And I know, um, like for for a month at least, you were like you went did a deep dive into investing, and now you're at the point where you've got a framework that you can set it and forget it. So yeah, people mm. just need to spend that time doing a deep dive into it and then increase the amount they invest slowly. The motivation topic, that was super interesting. And what I realized from what you were saying is motivation, like when you've already won, is going beyond the self. Uh, so that was three out of the four topics was really going beyond the self. So the obvious way to do that is giving back like Taylor Swift. So you're not really thinking of yourself, but uh, even if you think of learning, in order to learn something, you have to go from a position of ignorance. So again, that's something you can't do. And uh, creativity is obviously bringing something new into the world. So it sounds like once you've already won at the game, uh, what keeps people motivated is to do what they can't do. And for people who haven't felt like they've won yet, then it's probably the first one, which is the love of the game. Get good at what it is that you're already doing and then you can start doing these other things. You're right. I think it is like a scale, right? I think first you have to learn to play the game. 
then you start loving it probably even more because you're getting good at it right and then that and then thirdly then you become so good at it that now you're like okay why am i doing this you mm. want to give back and you want to be more creative right and there's a combination of those two then start taking over so mm. you're probably right it probably is there's probably must be some graph or if not you should make it it's like that journey yeah. of greatness the uh, anti-fragile topic, I thought that was really interesting. I was thinking how this relates to something that Fred said on our podcast. So he was talking about uh, the turnings of Buddhism. And initially, the Buddha sort of withdrew from the world. He's like, okay, I'm done with all this stressful stuff. I'm, I'm out of here. Uh, and then uh, it was about coming back into the world and being in the world and still being mindful. And yeah. You can think of anti-fragile as sort of forging yourself in the fire. If you like stay away from all stress, then you're not going to grow as, as a person. You're gonna, probably going to get quite bored. Uh, but even within anti-fragile, uh, th this is something you touched on, Rupee, where you know we, we think it's about going 100%, but what you want to do is like you hit the line, like as in you're giving all you can, but then you need to rest. So in order to be anti-fragile, still within there, that there is that element of resting as well. And the last one was your letter to your younger self. I, I thought that was amazing, man. You, you, because uh, you've spoken a lot about stoicism uh, on this podcast, and you, you sounded stoic, like you, you actually have got you did to it that properly. Point. Yeah, yeah, you, you, properly. yeah, you, 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 you become stoic, like after reading about it for, for a while. Yeah. I reached it. I reached stoicism. <laughs> yeah, you got it. <laughs> I've done it. What's the next game? Yeah, because there was a lot of like gratefulness and knowing yourself that really came through in that. Yeah, Matt, I, honestly, I, I love that exercise. And it's kind of reinforced the attributes that I want my personality to, to, to have. And it, it gave me time to reflect on what I want to train. Um, I'm nowhere mm. near like where I want to get to, where I'm like, you know, I'm easily triggered by certain things, whether it be, you know, my phone or uh, like... Uh, things outside my locus of control and the ideal is to not let your happiness or your state of mind be so cheap so like when mm. I, mean, I always talk about this with Rochelle in the morning you know if the if it's raining outside or you know the the uber is going to take 15 minutes or you know all this stupid stuff that we allow uh, ourselves to become upset about that's us mm. allowing our happiness to be cheap and our happiness should not be cheap it should be freaking mm. expensive. There should be no price on my happiness, right? That's that's the goal. And I think, yeah, that whole process of writing to my younger self kind of reaffirmed exactly what I want my mindset to be, like this um, this anti-fragile uh, strong mind that's um, super expensive or not on the market even. Yeah, so it's way more about the mindset and who you are rather than what you achieve or more that that becomes the bedrock for, for everything else. Yeah, and actually, from reading the surrender experiment, like he never, it, I, I'll give the TLDR on the surrender experiment for anyone who hasn't listened to or read it yet. But basically, it's about Michael Singer's journey to being an entrepreneur. He basically had this moment when he was tw in his twenties, decided to take up meditation and try to quieten the little voice in in his head that we all have right now. You know, when we're mm. doing this podcast, listening about there's a little voice in our head saying. Uh, Rupee's talking too much or he, he's he's overtaking the conversation he sounds really annoying people can tell that he's got a cold right now because he's constantly sniffing you know these little things and, and obviously to a grander scale as well so he he basically does a deep dive into meditation 
and he builds himself like a hut in the middle of the woods and he surrenders to whatever life throws him. So one moment he's like meditating, then he gets hired to do like a teaching professor gig and he's like, okay, fine, I'll do that. And then he's like, uh, someone's like, oh, you built this house. Can you build me a house? He starts a construction company and he starts a construction company. Uh, he buys a computer. He falls in love with this computer, starts programming on the side. Then he starts a computer software company and it goes on to become the biggest medical management software company in America. All the while, he is a ponytail, uh, like sandal wearing <laughs> hippie. Yogi. Yeah. Just absolute yogi. Yeah. Constantly yeah. practicing what he preaches in Untethered Soul. Mm. He gets sued by like a middle manager who actually was a con man. He almost goes to jail. You know, this law case costs like 150 million plus. Like, it, and it's just this amazing story about how this guy who surrendered to the world by just deep diving into meditation and trying to quieten his inner voice led to led to him being, you know, a multi-billionaire, I think, by the end of it. But it's it's fascinating, man. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, just focusing mm. on that sort of inner voice and the self is something I need to like always come back to, like remind myself of every every single time mm. I allow my my thoughts to wander. So yeah, that's uh, that's where I'm at right now. It's a good summary. I've read the book twice, but now I want to read it again. So yeah, cheers, man. Yeah, yeah. I'm telling you, it's a crazy story. And the best thing about it, because the un the untethered soul, he doesn't narrate it. He narrates the surrender experiment. Have you heard that saying that when you become the person, the book writes itself? Um yeah. So it, it's like a challenge to us as well, like to be happy millionaire. Like it, it will come across when we're like living that life. Mm. His uh, podcasts are amazing. Like I've listened to all his podcasts. Like oh, he okay. basically just talks on the podcast. It's more, I'd say it's more advanced than, because he's also got another book, I think Living Untethered. So I've listened to that as well. That's another good book. But yeah, and there's also Work and Living. There's another one, there's a Work and, there's one about how to work and consciously work. But I, in my mind, his podcasts were actually the best. Um, so he just talks on them. For like It's basically his recordings of him and his church, I think. So in his church, yeah. he... You can go see him. So his church is in the middle of nowhere. I did actually Google it because I was like curious. I think it's in Florida. Gainesville. Um, things in the middle yeah, of middle nowhere. Of nowhere. Um, middle of nowhere. <laughs> I want to go see him though. Should we do a happy millionaire uh, road trip? Yeah, yeah. Let's oh, do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I'll be up for that. Gainesville, Florida, baby. We can do that. <laughs> That's where we're going. <laughs>